a strip mall Tex-Mex joint in Austin, Texas. He scratched a few lyrics in his yellow notebook and motioned for another drink. The tour had been exhilarating, one of his best yet, and the band was coming together nicely. But gigging on the road was a hard life, putting pressure on already tenuous balances of business, revelry, and love. It was a life he chose, or it chose him. Either way, he knew it was his own damn fault. Later that day, while stuck in traffic on the Seven Mile Bridge en route to his home in Key West, he finished the song. But it wasn't until the year of our Lord, 1976, Miami, Florida, when that young folk singer began recording the chorus of Cocktailia that would skyrocket him not only to music legend, but cultural lifestyle icon. The daiquiri, the mai tai. Part of the charms in tropical tippling history are the friendly, and sometimes not so friendly, feuds surrounding these lurid libations. But no other drink holds such juxtapositions in quality and variation, with the widest chasm between authentic and pre-mixed. No other cocktail is so diametrically opposed to itself. Likewise, no other cultural phenomenon rivals the level of tropical escapism created by Don the Beachcomber, doing for the Caribbean what Don did for Polynesia. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask you to put on some thigh-high cut-off shorts, an old tank top, and a straw cowboy hat, and waste away again with me on this episode as we sip the margarita. Over half a century before Margaritaville became an anthem of the frustrated working class seeking a weekend of tropical dalliance, i.e. leave daddy alone when he's wearing his Hawaiian shirt in the backyard. Folks from the U.S. that couldn't afford the trip to Havana during Prohibition were crossing the border into Mexico to taste this new-to-them spirit. And way before that, when the Spanish conquistadors began distilling agave back in the 1500s, they created, sorry Kentucky bourbon, the first native North American spirit, eponymously named for the nearby city of, you guessed it, tequila. Since this is our first visit from tequila, let's do a quick one-on-one. Tequila is a distinct variant of mezcal, which is any spirit distilled from agave that uses blue agave species. Much like cognac or champagne, tequila, to be called such, must be distilled in the Mexican state of Jalisco. The Cuervo family was the first commercially licensed tequila distillery. The product, originally called tequila extract, was shortened to just tequila for the U.S. market, and the rest, my friends, is history. Picture the market streets of Playa del Carmen, late November. It's still quite warm on the Yucatan Peninsula as holiday decorations began creeping into the architectural mosaic menagerie of Mexican colors, bars, restaurants, and tourist shops. A small piece of the world still holding on to its cultural core while the pristine, crystalline turquoise waters lap at the ancient shore. My lady and I, deciding to spend the Thanksgiving holiday and her birthday in Mexico, amble along the sidewalk after a day visiting the Mayan ruins. We find a restaurant with a large U-shaped bar, my favorite sort where the front facade is open to the street. The place was styled in traditional Mexican decor and bright colors. It was the perfect example of a cantina. Then the margaritas 
were fantastic. Then there was Havana Bob's, the cigar shop we came to frequent. A short wooden bar squished beside the humidor was the workshop of the small chubby man squished behind it. The place was easy and comfortable and made the best margaritas we had on the whole trip. On Cozumel, there's La Choza, the Terrace at Palmeras, and a plethora of open-air shack bars along the avenue. What do these myriad Mexican milieus have in common? Great margaritas. Mexico doesn't treat their native spirit like some cheap whore with fake bottom-shelf blends and thigh-high sweet-and-sour stockings. No, the people take great pride in a truly Mexican manifestation of their culture. Quite literally right down to the land, the soil, the labor, and the terroir that produce tequila. We owe a lot to our neighbors to the south, especially considering that most of the southwest U.S. was Mexico once. But my experiences in Mexico aside, the margarita means more to me on a visceral level than any other drink we've covered thus far. You see, I grew up in Florida, where the margarita is inherent in the lifestyle and ethos. Therefore, the margarita is special because it embodies where I'm from, my tribe. What it represents is etched into who I am. Not to mention the crisp, tart, herby mix is my my favorite flavor profile. Even the smell brings me home to an ocean deck in Cocoa Beach, or, or better yet, my dad's backyard tiki bar, sitting by the pool with the smell of fresh-cut St. Augustine grass and hibiscus blowing through the queen palm trees. Unfortunately, I can't think of any other libation that has been more bastardized victim of the 80s and 90s cocktail slump than the margarita. Sweet and sour? Pre-bottled margarita mix? Lime juice from concentrate? Giant liter tubes of neon green blasphemy? (coughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. I need a minute to regain my composure. A margarita is perfection just the way it is. Seriously, bad margaritas are what started my deep-rooted discord with pre-mixes. Even if you don't have top-shelf ingredients, a simple tequila triple-sec lime juice mix will render a fine drink. We're going to go over all of those ingredients in detail as I rigorously sample many, many margaritas. In the name of research, of of course. But But for some history first. As you may have presumed, pinning down an origin story for such a ubiquitous cocktail is futile. There are a few that pop up regularly, though. The 1937 Café Royale cookbook, uh, I'm sorry, Café Royale cocktail book, holds a recipe of two ounces of tequila to one ounce triple sec and one ounce of lime juice, but they call it a picador. A few sources corroborate Danny Herrera inventing the margarita in 1938 at the Rancho La Gloria restaurant in California. Then there's Pancho Morales from the Tommy's Place Bar in Juarez, who has a sizable faction claiming he holds claim to the creation. From Texas socialites to head bartenders throughout the 1940s, many more would throw their Stetson hats in the ring to petition for paternity. But it wasn't until 1953 the first recipe of a margarita as we know it was published in Esquire. Applying a little Occam's razor, there is one tale that I tend to believe over others. In 1936, reporter James Graham wrote of his experience in Tijuana. While inquiring for a place to tipple, a cab driver dropped him off at the establishment of one Mr. Madden, an Irishman known to history only by his surname. 
After much prying, Madden disclosed his recipe was not a stroke of mixological genius, but a happy accident. While making a drink, he reached for the wrong bottle, and the patron actually liked it. The cocktail he was trying to make? The Daisy. Traditionally, a Daisy, a daisy cocktail is a mixture of spirit, liqueur, citrus, and sugar. Sound familiar? Furthermore, margarita means daisy flower in Espanol. Mr. Madden's creation myth may be apocryphal, but it's quite clear that the margarita evolved from the daisy cocktail. Oh yeah, and the original drink Mr. Madden served was called the tequila daisy. Elemental, my dear Watson. Elemental puro. Of course, the most important part of a great margarita is great ingredients. In that regard, I can wax rhapsodic all day. But we have got a lot to cover, so let's make a drink. You don't like tequila? You don't even really like margaritas? You've most likely been gaffed by shots in college, pre-made mixes, or even a certain Mr. Frog who sets up shop along cruise ship terminals, luring you into inanity, lest you abscond from port in search of authenticity. A great margarita is predicated on great tequila. So, what makes great tequila? For that, we turn to Tequiliera Iquetador, CEO of Question Tequila, Jason Fandrick. In conversation I had with him, Jason helps us understand why you think you don't like tequila. Basically, it has to do with something you might have overlooked on the label. Does your tequila say 100% blue agave? If not then that's not all tequila in there. You see, the Norma Official Mexicana, or NOM, governs over tequila production much the same way the AOC is to Martinique Rome or whoever this mysterious organization that presides over bourbon is. Seriously, U.S. government, can you be any less obviative about who does what here? NOM regulations state tequila must be made from 51% agave. So what's the other 49%? Answer, neutral grain spirit, sugar, water, and coloring. Ew. Furthermore, cheap or rather mass-produced neutral spirits contain methanol, which is not only harmful to the body, but also lends to that pungent taste that makes you think you don't like tequila. In fact, you don't like bad tequila, which makes you A-OK in my book. Jason goes on, I quote, it's not just about how much agave is used, but how it is derived, unquote. Agave plants are divided up into the head, the heart, and the tail. While the heart yields the best flavor, some mass-production tequilas will distill heads and tails as well, again adding to that pungence to the end result. In closing, look for that 100% blue agave on the label to be sure you're getting a premium tequila. Better tequila, better flavor, better experience. That's why I reach for Question Tequila Blanco, made from the hearts of meticulously grown, harvested, and distilled agave. This bright, crisp, floral tequila epitomizes what a Blanco should be. The flavor is one you want to emphasize in your margarita, not cover up. We dive into the simply convoluted world of orange liqueurs next. I've often pondered the age-old question, what is the real difference between triple sec and curacao? Grand Marnier and Contra. Am I even saying Contra right? The simple answer is, not much. Okay, basically there are two groups of orange liqueur, 
Triple Sec, and Curaçao, respectively. In 1634, when the Dutch took control of the island of Curaçao, they found the oranges planted by the Spanish settlers were, well, gross. Too bitter for consumption, what became known as Lahara oranges were best suited for peeling, steeping in Jamaican rum or French brandy, and macerating into a liqueur that the aristocrats back home found simply muy delicioso. Triple sec, on the other hand, a French-style orange liqueur, is usually clear and made from a less bitter orange peel and uses less sugar during production. It's unclear where the name triple sec comes from. Some say sec means dry, and triple can refer to either a triple distillation, three types of oranges used, or the gradation of liqueurs in the French style of du sec, triple sec, and extra sec. All of this research is anecdotal, so I turned to my favorite orange liqueur for some answers. Pierre Ferrand makes the dry orange curacao, which has become industry standard for high-end mixing. Ferrand claims their curacao is a traditional triple sec made in the French style. Wait, what? Their curacao is a traditional triple sec. These are the kind of statements that have me nonplussed. The only thing I got from Haran's bio is at least they define their triple sec as three distillations of spices with bitter orange peels and blended with brandy and cognac. To further mitigate the differences between the two styles was the advent of the column still and neutral spirits. Most examples of both styles now use it as their base. After a day of research with Narier's satisfactory clarification, I decided to do this the old-fashioned way. After all, I didn't become a connoisseur by just reading about drinks. The taste test finally yielded me some results. I conclude, Curacao has a more deep, rich orange flavor, almost caramelly or candied. Triple Sec, on the other hand, has a very mild orange flavor, but is way sweeter and more of an alcohol burn. A few other things I found interesting is that Contro is just a high-end triple sec, and Grand Marnier is a blend of triple sec and brandy. It's pretty much its own thing. Also, colored curacao, as in blue curacao, is not a new thing. The Café Royale cocktail book mentions many colors used to spruce up drinks, even a very intriguing green curacao. Margaritas traditionally use triple sec. I can see how Curacao would overpower the tequila, and we wouldn't want to upset Mr. Fandrick. So I stick with triple sec made by Bowles. The Dutch company created orange liqueurs, so I trust them. And even though a ton of early margarita recipes call for Contro by name, I find it too overpowering in both alcohol and sweetness. So I stick with the Bowles company. The next ingredient is, of course, fresh-squeezed lime juice. I have no idea why margarita mix became a thing, but nowhere in my research have I found any recipe calling for sweet and sour or lemon-lime abominations. It's grossly oversweet, and I see the only use for it as to cover up horrible flavor of those bad tequilas we discussed earlier with Jason. Psst. Psst. Hey. Hey, come here. Okay. Okay. Don't tell anyone you heard this from me. But in the rare case you have to make a large party batch or maybe bring something to a barbecue for people you don't really care about impressing, Trace Agaves actually makes a decent organic margarita mix with lime and agave. But under no circumstances should I even place a bottle of mix in the vicinity of my question tequila. Which leaves us with our final ingredient. 
Until recently, I would not even have considered agave nectar a true ingredient in a margarita, just some ploy by hipster mixologists to put their twist on an already perfect drink. I hate when people put their twist on things. When I order something, that's the thing I want, and I expect it to taste and look like it's supposed to. I digress. The triple sec is all the sweet you need. Why add syrup? But the overwhelming acceptance by some of the world's leading margarita experts, <clears throat> why am I not on this list, has me capitulating that agave nectar does have a place in the margarita. But I don't have to like it. Don't be fooled by the term nectar. Agave nectar is simply a sugar syrup made from agave sap. It's actually a pleasant substitute for simple in some drinks. As long as it's 100% organic, any brand will suffice. It adds a earthy um, note with, with sweet smokiness. Now, though the margarita is pretty straightforward, I did not take this recipe research inconsequentially. I painstakingly tasted an untowered amount of tequila-based tipples. Truly under the auspice of diligence, of course. A fraction too much triple sec hides the tequila. A bit heavy on the agave, and we end up with an oversweetened beach drink. Not enough lime, and the whole balance of tartness goes askew. I get all verklempt just thinking about it. Today, we've narrowed it down to three recipes. The perfect plain margarita, margarita with agave, and frozen margarita. Knowing how strongly I feel about margaritas, I must tell you up front, these are not suggestions. This is how you make a margarita. Just kidding, but not really. Number one, my all-time favorite drink, the perfection. Two ounces of Blanco tequila. That's question. One ounce of fresh lime juice. Three-quarter ounce triple sec, the bowls. Shake that with ice and pour into a rocks glass. That's it. Keep them coming and good night. Now, if you want a bit more complexity, complexity, two ounces of Blanco or Reposado tequila, one ounce fresh lime juice, half ounce triple sec, and one teaspoon of agave nectar. You can go up to a quarter ounce of agave if you want it sweeter. Lastly, don't sleep on that frozen marg. It definitely has a place in our pantheon of pours. Remember, for frozen drinks, a good blender makes the difference, and never use a frozen marg mix. Simply blend two ounces of tequila, one ounce triple sec, one and a half ounce lime juice, half ounce agave nectar, one cup of crushed ice. Notice the upping of ingredient amounts. That's to break through the ice, the watered downness. But wait, but wait, we do have a special recipe. Our friend and tequila expert Jason Fandrick of Question Tequila gave us his personal favorite recipe to try out. It plays a bit off something I learned while sipping tequila and mezcal under a starry Mayan sky beside the ocean with my fiance. That is, using a slice of orange in lieu of lime when drinking tequila. Jason prefers Reposado. That's tequila aged nine months. He uses Tennessee whiskey barrels as an homage to his home state. From his recipe, he omits orange liqueur altogether, so to emphasize, not hide, but tequila flavors. That's two ounces question reposado tequila, three quarters ounce fresh lime juice, one half ounce orange juice, and one quarter ounce agave. Real quick, let's cover salt. 
Personally, I don't need it, but there's nothing wrong with it. Salting the rim of a margarita is part of the heritage of the experience. Just make sure you get good salt or for a spicy twist, use tahini. Now, this has been an amazing dive into a drink that runs the incredible diasporic gamut from Mexican culture up through Tex-Mex twists, flowing across the panhandle down my tropical home state, and finally into the paradismo Caribbean. Is there anyone who doesn't know the margarita? Is there any other drink that so embodies the tropical vibe, so imbues such a feeling of tranquility over the imbiber? Created for a drink for tourists, using a traditionally Norteamericana spirit, catapulted across the world and made into an empire by Jimmy Buffett. What else can I say? The margarita is the perfect drink. My name is Tony. Thank you for listening to Pod Tiki. And real quick, let me go over a couple of my sources. I want to make sure I give a shout out to questionspirits.com, differedsguide.com, an academics.com article by Camper English, vinepair.com, potions of the Caribbean by Jeff Berry, and articles on imbibe.com. Make sure you follow at pod underscore tiki on Instagram, myself at rum underscore poet. You can find all of the episodes by going to podtiki.com or shareyourbuzz.com and clicking on the Pod Tiki archive. Once again, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Aloha and salud.